Lord God, we sense your presence around the world. We sense your presence in this place and in every home. Right where your people gather. Wherever two or more are gathered, you promise us that you're with us and we are gathered all around. So we thank you that you're with us. Right where we need you most. Not when things are perfect, but when we have need. And Lord, you alone know our need. And we thank you that you came to earth at the perfect time to redeem all that was broken, to heal the sick, to raise the fallen, to bless the ne'er-do-wells. You promise us that it's not the well that need a physician, but the sick. And so, Lord, we pray you'd be with all of us, each sick in our own way, mind, body, spirit, relationships. Lord, come, great healer, great lamb that changes the world. We pray that you come again through the word, through this week that changed the universe, that death is no more because of you. And we thank you for your courage and your strength and your grace and your servant heart to bless and save the world. We pray that the message today would be exactly what you want and what your children need. In Jesus' mighty name and all who agree say, amen. Our scripture lesson today comes from the gospel of John, the good news, um, chapter 12. Let's share in God's good word together. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus rode into Jerusalem from the east on a donkey from the Mount of Olives. The Roman leader Pilate rode into Jerusalem from the west with soldiers and chariots. The Jewish leader Herod rode into Jerusalem from the north with guards of his own. It was only a matter of days before the powers of the world and the powers of heaven would clash. My name is Mark Foster. I'm the senior founding pastor of the people known as Acts 2 United Methodist Church, wherever we may be. I'm glad you're with us online this morning as we begin the week that changed the world. So here is the Palm Sunday Room, and there's our group.
A number of years ago, I had the great opportunity to take members of our church to the Holy Land and to actually walk the Palm Sunday Road from the Mount of Olives all the way down into the valley to look up at the wall and to actually enter Jerusalem. You can see Chantel there on the left of your screen and up you see the Golden Dome of the Rock. That is where the temple would have been. If you look just beyond the gold dome, uh, there's a little gray dome, and that's the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. That's where um, tradition tells us that Jesus died and was buried, not far from the temple. And certainly, as Jesus was at the Mount of Olives looking to the temple, he could see the religious leaders, and the religious leaders could see him. The Roman government, he could see where he was headed and what kind of death he was to die, and they could see him. There was no secrecy. There was no gotcha moment. Jesus had turned his face to finish the life that he came to live, to save you and me. So when Jesus looked out from the Mount of Olives, he wouldn't have seen this view. He would have seen something that looked more like this. This is a replica of the temple in Jesus' day in the first century. And as he would look at the wall, he would see the great temple. And to the right, he would see the Antonia Fortress with the four turrets. And so over all the way to your right and, and, and the upper part where you see those turrets, that's where Pontius Pilate uh, would be. And they would oversee, they would look down into the temple to make sure that everything ran the way it was supposed to run. That they were in control. And then in the center portion of the temple, you see the Holy of Holies in the middle. And this was where the religious leaders would be. This was where Herod made sure that all the money was collected. Because if you go all the way to the left, you'll see the red roof on the left. And that's where the money changers were. And in just a few days, Jesus would enter the temple he would be at the outer courts with the people, and then he would go and he would overturn the money changers. And he would say that the temple was supposed to be a house of prayer, not a den of robbers. Because religious folks, then and now, have this temptation to take advantage of people when they're in a panic, or when they're hurting, or when they're far from God. And the whole reason that Jesus came to earth was that we could know him, that we would know his love. And the powers of the world clashed. Herod, Pilate, Jesus. We are certainly in some of the hardest days that I have ever known. And I just wonder how you're doing. Hard times, friends, don't create heroes. It is during the hard times when the hero within us is revealed. That's the way Bob Riley put it. Hard times don't create heroes. They are simply revealed. And Jesus, in the hardest week of his life, was revealed as the Son of God. How are you doing? As these days turn into weeks, and this week will turn into the month of April, what is being revealed about who you are, about what's really deep inside of you, what's coming out under stress, what's getting squeezed out of you 
these days? Is it prayer? Is it joy? Is it love? Is it kindness? Is it the fruit of the Spirit? Kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Or is it anxiety and fear and anger, confusion, desperation, sadness, grief? Friends, we all have these full range of emotions. And we need God in each and every step of the way in each place we find ourselves. And this season, this season that we call Lent, these 40 days that we're finishing up as we head into Easter, is about closing the gap between who we really are and who we hope to be by God's grace. And so we finish up our series today called The Walk, and we look at what Jesus did in his last days. We look at what was exhibited and revealed about him in his highest levels of stress and perhaps the darkest week of the world. So the walk of Jesus in his last days um, looks like this. And these are things that we've covered over the last five weeks. When push comes to shove and every power that be is after Jesus to falsely accuse him, to try him, to beat him, and to kill him, his life was a life of prayer. Jesus prayed throughout the Last Supper, in the garden, and even from the cross. Oswald Chambers says it like this. He says, we pray when there's nothing else we can do. But God wants us to pray before we do anything at all. And so again, before your feet hit the floor each morning, I want to invite you to simply say, good morning, Lord. What are we going to do today? And your power, by your grace, by your love. You see, often we think of prayer as a last resort. But Oswald Chambers says Jesus wants prayer to be our first line of defense. And even from the cross, three of the last seven statements of Jesus before his death were prayers. The first of these is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, that's an honest prayer. And we know that this prayer comes from the Psalms. It comes from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? From the words of my groaning. Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but find no rest. Yet you are holy. Hear the hope in this, friends. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our ancestors trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. And you can hear what's implied, Jesus saying, and deliver me. To you they cried and were saved. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. The second prayer that Jesus prayed was, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I want you to think about the power of that prayer. Who is the them? The very people who were killing him, the very people who had lied about him, the very people who had spat on him and beaten him within a moment of his, the end of his life. Forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. The Gospel of Luke recounts it this way. Two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. 
When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The criminals, the Roman soldiers, all of us who had put him there. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the third prayer Jesus prays from the cross is, Father, into your hands I commend or I commit my spirit. Again, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus cries out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And when the centurion, which would have been a Roman official with uh, at least 100 soldiers under him, when he saw that what had taken place, he praised God. And he said, certainly this man was innocent. By the very prayers of faith of Jesus, by his cries from the cross, people who did not know God, who were not religious in any way, came to faith. Came to understand that Jesus was who he said he was all along. You see, friends, what Jesus models for us is this. When Jesus faced cruelty and hardship, he prayed. He prayed. He received power from on high that he did not have without that connection with the Father. And we can too. It changes the world. You and I, we can pray in this time. When we don't know what to do, we can fall on our knees, we can raise our hands, we can take a walk, and we can talk with God. What we find Jesus doing in the last week of his life is praying, being in constant contact, in conversation with his Father. The second thing we find Jesus doing under stress is living out the Scriptures. When Jesus was tempted by the devil, he recited Scripture. He didn't get in a conversation with the snake, with the devil, with the tempter. No, he simply relied on the Word of God. And when Jesus had no words, he prayed the Scripture. The more you know the Scriptures, the easier it is to pray. We can pray the Lord's Prayer. We can pray the Psalms. We can pray the Scriptures. The Bible says this, In you, O Lord, I seek refuge. Do not let me ever be put to shame. In your righteousness deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. You are indeed my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Take me out of the net that is hidden for me, for you are my refuge. And then you see here, Jesus was actually praying the scripture. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. So as Jesus prays these prayers, he's actually praying the very words of scripture. And he's recounting and recalling and proclaiming that God is faithful, even in the worst of circumstances, even when no one else could see it. Jesus was pulling back on the, what had been placed within him as a small child, all of these scriptures that he learned and knew and grew in. When we don't feel God's presence, we too can pray into your hand. I commit my spirit. I trust you, God. I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I trust you. I love you. Thank you for being with me. I stand not alone. 
but on thousands of years of brothers and sisters who have gone before me. The third thing that Jesus did um, from the cross, amazingly, is that he served others. He served others. He prayed. He was immersed in the scripture. And he served others. Jesus said to John, here is your mother. Take care of her. The Gospel of John in chapter 19 says this. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, woman, here's your son. And then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. Now you and I may know that John was not her son. But Jesus is saying to John, she's your responsibility now. Take care of her. And from that hour... The disciple John took her into his own home and he cared for her. When we come to these very, very difficult times in our life, when we don't feel like we have much to offer or we don't know what to do, one of the things that we can make sure that we do, that we saw Jesus do and that we're called to do in the Ten Commandments is to care for our parents, particularly if they're elderly. And so one of the questions we have to ask as a church is how are we caring for our parents and our elderly friends and neighbors? And to be fair, that's really difficult these days. If your folks are uh, in a wonderful facility like mine are, uh, they're locked down. Uh, We can't go see them. Uh, So we call uh, and we talk, we send them photos. Um, A week or two ago, we could bring them food, but we can't even do that now. That they're making sure that in those at-risk populations, they're not to leave and no one's to come in because they have to keep their people safe. And so I have to say to Epworth Villa, now they're your mom and dad too. I'm trusting you to take care of them. Take care of them because I can't from here. I can check on them, but I can't care for them then maybe you find yourself in the same place. And friends, if you're watching this today and you are in need or you know of someone in need, please let us know. Uh, We are working with physicians uh, and in conversation regularly about what are the safe things that we can still do. How do we get people what they need, their medicines, their food, connected still in a way that won't harm them or put them at risk? One of the ways that we've done this is by partnering with Mobile Meals. And so this is a wonderful uh, ministry of our town. And so you can see that what Mobile Meals has done is they have taken their meals that used to be delivered five days a week, and now they deliver it one day a week, all five days, so that they're limiting the exposure um, to the elderly population and those at risk. And so you can see here that these have been put together And then, um, you may have known that because the delivery was different uh, this week and because there were so many uh, things to deliver, uh, it was delayed. And so our church uh, was a part of letting people know, hey, your food's coming. Uh, You're going to get a lot of it, uh, but it's going to take a little while. And so in times of hardship, what we find about Jesus is that even as he was dying, he was thinking of others. He was thinking of others. And so we have to ask ourselves, who might Jesus be calling us to care for this week? As if they were our own mom and dad. 
Maybe you have a person on your street uh, that's elderly. Maybe they need someone uh, to go to the pharmacy for them. Maybe someone uh, needs some toilet paper or a loaf of bread. And with all these things, we always ask God, is this what you're asking me to do? And don't be surprised, friends, if often um, God responds, no. You haven't been tested, and you don't know whether you're caring, and so you need not accidentally harm someone. Stay home. And sometimes that is the hardest prayer and answer to hear because we feel helpless. We feel helpless. So we serve others, and when we can't serve we invite others to serve and we ask God, who else could do this ministry on my behalf if I can't do it safely myself? That's what Jesus did from the cross with John and his mom. The fourth thing that Jesus did was that he gave. The cross is the highest expression of generosity. With outstretched arms, Jesus gave all he could give. There was nothing more that he could give. His very life, his last breath, his last drop of blood. He gave it all. There's no higher form of generosity than giving your last breath for what you believe in. And of course, this was his witness. The fifth thing that Jesus did was he lived out his life perfectly to complete the task that he came to do, which was to save the entire world. Jesus died for Roman soldiers. Jesus died for Jewish leaders, his own people. And so it didn't matter whether it was a foreign government that had oppressed him and his parents and his family and his friends. It didn't matter if it was his own people um, who were harming him and lying about him and, and falsely trying him and accusing him. And it didn't matter if it was a part of the crowds of people that, you know, if Jesus could do something for me, I'll show up. But if he doesn't, I won't be there for him. And of course, Jesus died for you. For you. When we come to the cross each Holy Week, it's not uh, simply a reenactment about something that happened long ago. When Jesus died for the world, he died for the world for all time. One sacrifice for all people in all places for all time. For you and for me. We don't take that lightly. We remember, we celebrate, and we give thanks. And we recommit our lives to do the things that Jesus did, to pray, to be in the scriptures, to serve others, to give, and to let our life be a witness for him. Friends, if Jesus can save a thief on a cross, Jesus can save you. The people that Jesus says, Father, forgive them, they were not great people. They were not the Sunday school teachers of their day, necessarily. Some of them were criminals. Some of them were murderers. Some of them had harmed him directly. So if Jesus can forgive them, Jesus can forgive you. And he can change you. He can give you the power to live differently. The scripture says it like this. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man, 
has done nothing wrong. Then hear what Jesus said. The, 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 the uh, criminal says this. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now that is an audacious ask, isn't it? And Jesus replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Even from the cross, with someone that had done nothing good that we know of, Jesus promises him salvation. And if Jesus can promise him salvation and save him, he can save you. Reach out to him. Say today, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And trust Jesus with the results. So from the cross, Jesus cries out, it is finished. And it is not a cry of defeat. It is a shout of victory. Adam Hamilton in his book, The Walk, says that this it is finished is the same sort of it is finished as Michelangelo finished the Sistine Chapel. He's like, yes, I did it. It is done. It is finished. John 19 says it like this. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. With his very last breath, he had done exactly what God had called him to do. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Not a victim, but a victor. And so we live these things out with Jesus. Our action steps this week are these. Pray five times each day. When you wake up, three meals, say thank you for God, your family, the food, the people that served it to you. And then before your head hits the pillow, five times a day, just look at your hand and think of people that you can pray for and remember to be with God from um, right when you wake up to when you go to bed. The second is scripture, of course that we want to be with our Bible uh, before our phone each day with five verses of Scripture to start the day. And so that's not very long, friends, in, in this time. Uh, you may be able to read uh, five chapters a day. And, and if, if you're um, not having anything to do, maybe you'll read five books of the Bible today. I don't know. Um, but uh, the, the main thing is this. For the people that I'm talking to these days, the ones who pick up their Bible and let God be the frame of their day, it just really helps them. It really helps them to know that God is first. God is the frame within which their day now rests. Not their emails, not their texts, not the things pulling at them. So your Bible before your phone each day. And then I want to invite you um, to think about five acts of kindness that you can do with your family or with your friends. Five acts of generosity that you can do um, each and every week where you're thinking about, well, how can I be kind? How can I be generous? And then finally, I, we want to ask you to invite five people to participate in the life of our church before this Christmas. If there's anything that this time is teaching us, uh, I hope it's that we need Jesus and we need one another and, and that the things of earth do grow strangely dim in the light of the glory and grace of Jesus. That everything that we think so important turns to dust and goes away and can go away like the blink of an eye or like a lightning strike. And so the things that Jesus did this last week of his life are the things that last. So we set our mind on things above as Jesus did for the very transformation of the world. Amen? Amen. If you'll share in this um, scripture with me.
uh, in this prayer. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for loving me more than I will ever comprehend in this life. Thank you for sending Jesus to rescue me over and over again. I accept your love, your forgiveness, and your grace. Help me as I seek to walk with you, my crucified King, in your holy name. Amen. And now with the confidence of the children of God, let's share in the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.